Welcome to our first, it's not maybe not our first podcast that we've recorded in virus season, but it's the first one that we've recorded where we were not still working in the office at the same time. So mm-hmm. I think the last time we recorded a podcast, we were social distancing and now we are recording over Zoom. Uh, one piece Homebound. of... Yeah. Homebound. Yeah. Um, I guess we should introduce ourselves. I don't know how necessary that is, but I am Scott, one of the pastors at North Star Community. And I am Teresa, the other pastor at North Star Community. So we're recording this on April 2nd. Um, I should have it uploaded either today or tomorrow. And um, so you should... With your your ability to mimic, you should have done that like the Starship Enterprise or something. (laughs) Well, the reason I mentioned the dates is that sometimes we're ahead, um, or I guess sometimes we're behind. I don't know. Either way, sometimes people are listening to things like long after we've recorded them, but I wanted to make an announcement up front to say that next week we are going to try to do this on Facebook Live in our group. So if you're not part of our Facebook group, you can find it by going to our Facebook page, um, or it's facebook.com slash groups slash nsc.rva. So facebook.com slash groups slash NSC dot RVA. So you can find the group there. And um, one of our hopes in, in doing the Facebook Live is that uh, we will uh, we'll be recording that Thursday at 2 um, next week. So that'll be the 9th. And Eastern Standard Time. Yeah. So our hope is that you will be able to watch us live and write in questions and make comments. And um, that way this will be a little bit more interactive. So the, the weekend messages that we're doing right now are getting recorded in video form or in Zoom form, depending. So you have those to see in their entirety. You're not going to be missing out on anything. And so that's what our podcast normally is. So we're going to try, you know, kind of a different format and experimenting with different ideas and types of topics. And you can help us by jumping on Facebook Live next week. So that'll be April 9th at 2 Eastern. Yeah. Cool. So I'm excited. So I don't know if you had anything that you wanted to, um, you know, a lot of podcasts do the banter thing before they get started. Yeah, I know. We don't. That no much. sense bantering. What's all this foolishness about bantering? <laughs> um, still kind of, I know you're not necessarily enjoying being isolated from people, but you're, I assume you're handling things okay there. In, uh, you in know, stay at home mode. we are. I'm trying to, um, I feel a little bit like a, a 50s housewife. Uh, if not a Stepford, Stepford wife. Um, Being in the home all day. We're home all day. Our laundry gets washed. We eat meals that have vegetables. I mean, it's just really weird. <laughs> um, but it's good, too. We have um, we have a comfortable house that we love, and um, we're very lucky to have it. I think about our friend Eric Peters, whose picture showed up on Facebook yesterday, and they tore the remnants of his house down after the Nashville tornado. So there's always something to feel super appreciative about. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we feel super appreciative about that. And even with all that gratitude, I'm still a little antsy today. Um, 
we had our groups last night and I, I felt everyone else's anxiety as well. And just getting a sense that um, we're all in this together, but we're all having really different experiences. And mine is particularly good um, because at this point we're well, well fed, comfortable uh, together. Um, and although I miss my grandchildren and you guys, my kids, and I miss my community, we're finding ways to connect. So that's, that's good. But boy, the reality of other people's anxiety felt very real to me last night. So I'm glad we're going to do some podcasts, give people other things to think about, and maybe some helpful hints along the way. I know we've got some interesting topics to consider today. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, for my part, I'm feeling much the same in many ways. Um, you know, I'm obviously anxious for those who are vulnerable. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, some things that are going on um, in some of my friends' lives that are stressful, like that are, you know, changing because of things that are, you know, because of the circumstances. Right. Um, but you know, for me and my unique individual situation, it's like I've been wanting more time at home, um, the way life is going, and I'm getting that. And it's been, you know, like you said, so far, my actual day-to-day -day is pretty good. And there are definitely things that I miss, but um, there's, I'm also looking at it as an opportunity to get caught up on some things that I feel behind in. Well, I thought your, your idea last night to do a video with Nora as a private investigator uh, really showed that you were utilizing your creativity and parenting skills to maximum benefit. Yes, we've filmed two scenes. Excellent. Um, the title is not yet determined, but we have a script, and um, I'll say she's doing a very good job. Awesome. As an I actor. I uh, suggested to your dad uh, that um, maybe we could do the same with him. And I he bet was he's not, not having it. He was not nearly as cooperative as Nora Jane. So. I don't know that she's been cooperative, but uh, yeah, it's been funny. She's a natural. She'll do mm -hmm. great. Yeah. Um, so shall we? Let's. Uh, so I'm uh, currently happen. I happen to be working with a couple different parents who have teens um, who are using drugs currently, and um, we've we've gotten some emails and some comments lately uh, from other parents who have teenagers who have started experimenting. And mm -hmm. so I thought, you know, normally we do these message podcasts, but we also have this whole other piece of our lives that's sort of consulting with families and doing family education and sometimes placing people in treatment or helping connect people with treatment. Um, so I thought, let's start with something totally different than what we normally do. Let's talk about this piece of having a teenager on drugs. When you're, when you're working with a parent, um, what things are you listening for and paying attention for, paying attention to? Um, yeah, like what, what are some of the, I don't even know the question, but we'll just start there. Like, what are some of the things that you're listening for? What are you trying to gauge? Uh, the first thing I'm trying to gauge is, um, and it's pretty important to me, is to really think about the parent's uh, level of tolerance for discomfort. 
Um, and that is super important because um, I think when you're faced with this momentous discovery that your precious child is using drugs, um, dependent on your frame of reference, but almost inevitably, it's pretty discombobulating to make that discovery and upsetting and triggering. And so I'm really listening to where are the parents in terms of their uh, knowledge and their um, tolerance for doing really hard things and not panicking. Um, like what? What are some hard things that you feel like are common issues for parents to need to do? Well, I think the first thing um, is there are probably going to be a couple of suggestions I'm going to make. I mean, it isn't like going to a therapist, right? You're not coming to me for therapy. I'm not a therapist. You're coming for resources. So I've got to think about what kind of resources to present to you. And part of thinking about those resources, um, in my mind, involves saying, what seem to be the resources that are most likely for somebody to actually use? I don't want to shock and awe or overwhelm somebody. I don't want to um, force them into defensive posturing. Uh, I don't want to add fuel to the fire of their anxiety. So there's kind of a delicate balance between assessing tolerance and actually being able to be helpful in terms of providing resources to support their exploration of what to do with this kid that they assess as having a big problem. Right. So, so get specific for me with that. You said there are some hard things that are sort of common tasks that, that parents may or may not be willing to do, but what are some of those things? Well, are parents willing to go slow and then a little bit slower? In other words, can I suggest to them that maybe it would be really good for them to get a good therapist as a couple to go to talk to, to sort out what's going on with them and how they're uh, reacting to their kids' use and maybe shore up some communication disconnects between the mom and dad, try to get them on the same page so that they're presenting a, a, a solid and healthy and supportive front for their kid. Um, and some parents are able to hear that and some are not. So that would be one thing. I think that's, um, I think being on the same page is a really important one. And I think it's a really important one to see a therapist for or a counselor, whatever word you want to use, because it's very rare actually that I talk to two parents who say they're not on the same page with how they're approaching the situation. Mm -hmm. But then kind of when you hear stories, you wonder if that's actually the case. Right. Like, I think people, I think that, exactly. like, I think that that's enough, like the idea that you need to be on the same page is an, is out there enough that people know that you need that. And so they sort of tell you what, you know, maybe they, they wish were true or they tell you kind of what you want to hear, which is like, yes, we're a unified front. And I think or they, to some or they people, believe it, right? They, so to, well, they, hang, hang on. So to some people, mm-hmm. like being a unified front means like we both want this behavior to stop. Like we share right. the same feeling. But right. I think that what 
often what we're talking about is like responding to your child in a consistent way. Like that's being a unified front. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, that's something maybe that feels to them like you're poking the bear a little bit when you are listening for signs of consistency and follow through um, lack of conflict between the two parents about um, what consequences look like or really even assessing uh, the threat in the same way. Um, They don't want their kids using drugs, but one of them may say, well, I don't, I don't think it's any big deal, but it's driving his mother crazy and I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. Right. So there are a lot of re there are a lot of places for there to be disconnects. And so, um, I really hope to find uh, ways to make sure that my suggestions match what I think they can actually tolerate doing. Yeah. And I think that that, that piece as well, in terms of like, what parents think is the severity of the problem um, is really key as well, because I think that it's very, very natural. Like in, I, I mean this, like not only is it natural, it's sort of expected, you know, I would sort of expect it and, you know, consider it a good thing that parents get really anxious about their kids using like, and in this environment where we're talking about an opioid crisis and right. all this other stuff, there's, you know, there's always this, you know, you find out your kids using drugs, do they need to go to treatment right, right. away? Right. And I think that you kind of see, I think what you're, what you were kind of getting at there at the end sort of was this idea that parents can react in um, two completely different inappropriate ways, which is not something that they have any control over, but one can be overreacting to the point where you think your kid has a full-blown addiction issue and needs to go off the treatment. And one is they're just smoking a little weed. It's no big deal. Right. And those could be two parents talking about the same kid. Right. And so it's really hard in a situation like that to get a feel for what does the use even look like? How do we even kind of assess exactly what's going on with the kid? Um, Yes. And you know, I'm old. And so um, I've had, I don't know if I'm right about this, but I have some thoughts about the fact that I think in a lot of cases, my observation is, is that parents actually feel pretty ambivalent about um, how to deal with this problem. And in the midst of their ambivalence, if they can develop some push pull about a story they tell themselves that one's overreacting and the other one is underreacting, that then they often end up very distracted by the problem that they really need to address. Um, So now all of a sudden we're distracted by, well, you don't set limits. Well, your limits are too harsh. Instead of just saying, okay, why don't we settle down to saying, I think the problem you came here to discuss is the fact that your kid is using and how do we assess the severity of it in a way that gives us a little objectivity. Yeah. And I I think that kind of what I hear there is this idea that like it's important to get to the root of the issue so that you're kind of addressing the right thing, which in my mind is kind of an interesting 
topic, right? Because people use for a lot of different reasons, and it's not always clear what those are. And I think on the one hand, like you're suggesting that sometimes it's, there are, let's, let's put it this way, there are things going on maybe in the child's life that are relational in nature that are playing into the desire to use, right? So, I mean, there can be like relational disconnects. I think your mic went out. I haven't heard the last. Okay, it's going in uh, kind of, it's going in and out. Interesting. Um, so there's, in, in, in other words, that sometimes, and th- this is what you've hinted at a couple of times, is that sometimes there are relational things either between the parents or between the parents and the child that require some work. And I think at the very beginning you were hinting at that's, there's no quick solution for that, right? It's like right. work that takes place over the long haul. And sometimes parents do the best parents can and have great relationships with their kids and they still use. And so it's not always terribly clear why the using is happening. And so it can be worth exploring that. But then at the same time, you may not get a very satisfactory answer to that. And you still have to figure out what to do. Yes. And I think that that really goes to another point um, that I think is important in terms of assessing tolerance. Um, the thought I have on that is, um, that I think it, it's not really what anybody wants to hear, but I really think it's important for people to understand the chronic nature of the solution and that rarely is there an acute and quick fix. Um, and one of the analogies that works for me in my brain is to think of how you would eat an elephant. (laughs) Um, one bite at the time, and um, there might be many different places to start with the meal. So if we come in with a presentation of a kid smoking a lot of weed, okay, that may not be the the actual thing that you that your kid might be willing to partner with you and address. But there might be something else the kid would be willing to partner with you and address. And so thinking about... Um, Is there any, any chance you could um, close your email out just for the sake of the audio? Is that what's happening? Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that that would be really great to sometimes be able to say, um, and, I, and does a parent have the skill sets to use skills like affirmation and validation and listening well, three skills we really try to um, hone and teach um, for the purpose of developing a partnership with their kid. And maybe their kid isn't willing to exactly address um, smoking weed right now, but would they be willing to address something else that might be an underlying issue? Yeah, it's like it it tends to be kind of unclear. Like <clears throat> it's funny that you mentioned um you know like it takes a long haul approach. Um it's sort of like every January you go into the gym and not only are there a lot of people there who have got new year's resolutions but you know I always see a person or two who are d- on a dead sprint on a treadmill for like 10 minutes. Yeah. 
and then they're gone. Yeah. And it's like, I think people are willing to like, it's almost like, I think in a variety of areas of life, like people are willing to tear off the bandaid, but they're not really willing to like heal a wound. Yeah. So it's like, you see that, you know, if somebody feels like they ate too much of the holidays, they'll, they'll kill themselves for 10 minutes and then not come back to the gym. Right. Or, or whatever, but, um, they won't do this low steady thing of, of kind of like consistently doing something that's going to help them over the long haul, even though they won't feel that tired that day. Right. Right. And so, um, and, uh, part of that, part of that long haul work is like, it's not just about eliminating the bad behavior, because I think that's where a lot of parents go, which is what you were saying is that like, we just need to come down hard and quick. We need to rip the bandaid off, do a couple of things for a short period of time. And then that problem will be gone and we can go back to life as normal. Right. And I think that, you know, kind of what you were saying is like, well, there's usually a lot more to it than that. Maybe you need to work on the relationship. Maybe you don't, whatever it is like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to avoid like justifying the approach to take you know, if you're a parent with somebody in this situation, but um, building your kid up, doing the affirmation, doing the validation, finding positive things to add into their lives, those can be things that help people not need to use anymore, right? And there's not, that's not like quick or easy work. And it's also not the work of coming down really hard for a short period of time and hoping it goes away. Right. Um, and, and to be really, that, that was really rambling. I, I'm, no, I got it. I got it. And, but I think also that um, sometimes we're shocked when we think our kid is using drugs and all of a sudden it's like, okay, back to the elephant again. The only thing you can see is there. Do elephants have pinkies, you know, just like a little teeny part of the elephant, which is that they're smoking weed. But I ask parents to say, do you notice how lonely your kid might be? Are you guys doing family dinners? Um, Do you sit around after dinner and play a game? Do you ask them about their interest? Um, And I think a lot of those things are really hard, even for parents who like receive that well and want to do it because teenagers and parents have a hard time getting along. Yeah. And so like, even though those, that's like almost preventative work, I feel like. Right. Then stuff to, that's easy to start doing. For instance, if you have a relationship that's high conflict with your teen, those are hard things to start doing once you have a problem. Maybe different if you don't have a high conflict relationship. Yes. And I still think um, that bringing down the conflict is super important. Right. Um, because, um, I'm trying to think if I've ever interacted with a teen who really wanted their parents to be undone with them and really sincerely didn't care what their parents thought. I don't think I've ever had that. I mean, or, or I think like that, more important or more importantly, like it's not, super motivating to their kids to have their parents just yell at them. Right. You know, right. Um, 
So getting curious, listening well, asking questions, not being so sure about your own answers. And, you know, it's interesting, but I think as I'm sitting here thinking about what we're talking about, we've got a teen on drugs, but most of the suggestions I'm giving are asking the parents to change or to gain new skills themselves. And that's really confusing because they didn't come in to discuss a problem they have. They came in to discuss a problem their kid had. Um, but I, and I think that there's stuff to be done. You can get your kid assessed. Um, you know, there, there are things you can, you also need to do. You can, um, see what kind of additional support the kid might be willing to tolerate. There are all these things that we can also do with our kid, but, um, our emotional regulation as parents is really important for the well-being of our children. Yeah. And and I think it's a little, I mean, I think um, one thing I would say like that I would be concerned that somebody might be hearing is that like if a kid's using that it's always the parent's fault and the parent needs to fix themselves, which is not true at all. It's just yeah. a way of saying that oftentimes there are issues around the issue that we need to work on. I mean, some of those things are relational, but there's dozens of other things as well. I think these are really complex issues and that I think maybe the bottom line for a lot of this is it's important to involve somebody who's used to dealing with it and seeing it to get an outside perspective and to help you brainstorm some next steps because there's no one size fits all solution and no no two situations are the same. Yeah, and the other thing I think about is um, think about who you ask to help you. So um, one of the common things that um, people in our community, or not our community per se, but come to to our community to get resources, will often say, I think I just need the youth pastor to talk to this kid. Um, And that may be a really great resource if the youth pastor understands substance use disorder and has some good working knowledge of mental health issues. Um, But one of the things I also try to do when families show up is to find right-sized resources. Um, And um, so I don't think my guess is that somebody who is listening to this wouldn't know what that phrase means. So unpack that for us. Well, I think look for the resources that actually have the expertise to deal with the problem you've identified. And you may identify other problems, but the problem you've identified, go to the resource that actually has an educational and experiential background and is well leveraged and found in resources for that particular problem. Now, along the path, you may find that one problem gets identified as two separate problems. Okay, that's all right. Then look for the helpers um, with the second problem. So I think a lot of times what we know with people who end up having substance use disorders um, often have co-occurring disorders. So you might need support for um, other mental health issues that are going on. Um, but get, get, the, get to the resource that actually has the experience to deal with that. And sometimes you have to try several people, places, and institutions to get one that seems like a right fit for your family. Yeah, I think the bottom line, 
um, for this section for today's purposes is to make sure that you're willing to ask for help when you need it and and seeking out somebody who can help walk you through the process. All right, we are rejoining for a break. I had to go down and help my daughter get down for a nap. So, um, yeah, so the first part of our conversation, obviously we touched on kind of the, the challenges of having a teenager who's using and, you know, kind of uh, the importance of being willing to ask for help, I think was kind of the, the bottom line in that conversation. And um, other thing that I think, I wanted to talk about today, I don't know how you feel about it, is kind of some recommendations for self-care during this really difficult time for people. People are really stressed out and then a lot of other things too, very stir crazy at home with their families. Sometimes families are not placed, you know, you know sometimes that's not a relaxing environment, right? right. So right. what are some thoughts that you had about self-care in this time? Well, I, uh, I, I really um, had a group meeting last night with a group of gals, and I thought that they had some really great suggestions uh, for taking care of ourselves during this time. One of my favorite ones was maintain a structure and a routine. Um, just because there are some structures and routines that have been taken from us, it doesn't mean that we can't develop our own. Um, and I know you and I have kind of done that. We've kind of chosen a specific time to work during the day. We've kept our Zoom meetings at the same time as our group meetings have traditionally been, uh, trying to find some familiar touch points. So I really like that suggestion of like finding a way to have structure um, that, um, and then they, they somebody went on to say yes, and a structure that fits our intentions, right? So um, making sure that the structure that we're putting in place uh, is consistent with who we want to be when we come through this crisis. And that might not be a subject matter expert on Friends or Seinfeld, you know, um, maybe binge watching TV uh, is not going to be what we need when we get through this crisis. Right. Yeah, habits and routines is part of what we talked about last night. And I think one of the things that came up in our group is that having a routine is not necessarily doing the exact same thing every day. Because I think, you know, I kind of talked about wanting to have a routine and somebody was like, yeah, but like, we're getting so bored doing the same thing over and over again. And I think that like, you can have variation within the routine. Like, if, you know, um, you know, you can play a game at the same time each day and have it be a different game, right? Okay, like I you can judge you. Your dad made you say that. No, <laughs> no, That's I think, funny. you know, like if, you know, if, or if you're playing sports with your kids in the yard, you know, like, you know, you can play basketball one day and throw the baseball the next day, you know, I mean that like, there's not, but so many options, right? Like, and this is going to get tedious. Um, there's no doubt about it. No matter what you do, it's going to get tedious, but the routine and knowing what to expect is helpful, even if, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to do the exact same activity each day. Well, yeah, because having a routine is different than becoming super rigid to try to control our anxiety, right? 
Um, another thing we did, uh, we talked about was look for what's really working for us. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, your dad and I, who have not traditionally walked together, um, have started walking together in a significant amount more than he's used to. Um, And we try to get out both in the early morning and in the evening. And we really look forward to that time and are really enjoying it. Um, So there is sort of a rhythm to that, that we know that sort of bookmarks different um, blocks of time in our day. So he knows he's going to go into the office and he's in his office at home and work. Um, And he knows that he is going to walk before he does it. And he's going to walk afterwards because he discovered in the midst of feeling very anxious that just a few minutes outside really calmed him down. Mm -hmm. So, look for the things that actually are working for you that are actually um, helpful in uh, moderating and leveling out your moods and whatnot. Yeah. What about you? What are you finding works? Uh, I think those are good. Um, I think that like, um, you know, one of my professors sent out, I was telling the men's group last night, sent out a guided meditation that was specifically um, for dealing with anxiety. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that I have a tremendous amount of anxiety about this situation. I mean, my anxiety is pretty much like, I know this is, I've been really eager to finish my school program and I want to finish it as quickly as possible. And it's going to get messed up, like, and it's going to take longer. And that's really frustrating me, but it's not really even anxiety anymore. It's just frustration because like there's no, there's no hope of it not doing that. Right. So now it's just like, it has to be acceptance. Right. Uh, But even so, like, I think just those calming, you know, even though I don't feel like I'm in my most stressed state, um, I still find benefit in that kind of those guided meditations. So that's, um, that's another thing is, and, um, but I think kind of the most important thing to me, this one's kind of hard to do, um, in my situation, just because like our days are like, our days are full because half of my day is watching Nora who requires all of my attention that whole time. And then the other half is working. So, I don't have a ton of hours to get my work done in, right? Because of that switching back and forth. So this one doesn't apply to me so much, but I think you were kind of hinting at this a few minutes ago is like that stuff that you don't normally have time for that you'd really like to do and add to your life. Like this is a good time to to do that. Right. Um, And it's kind of funny because I don't have time to add on new things to my life, just the way that our structure works out, not having any childcare. I can imagine a lot of people having a lot of unstructured time who could very well like, Hey, I could finally watch all those YouTube videos about learning to draw that I've wanted to watch or whatever. Right. I've picking, I've, I've picking, I've picked up a musical instrument again because I finally have time to practice and I'm painting. Um, and, um, I find that those things really cause me to be just really right there in the moment. Am I hitting those notes just right? 
Um, is this the correct shade of green for this tree? And those kinds of things are, uh, really are helpful. Now, if I don't add those things in, then what I'm missing and am acutely aware of is not seeing my kids, not seeing my grandchildren, uh, not being with my community. Um, and part of acceptance about that is that's, that is, that is reality. Well, those things took up hours and hours of my week that I loved. Um, but now I'm trying to put some other things that I love into those hours. And when I'm doing that, it doesn't really solve the problem, but it does alleviate the angst and it gives me something to look forward to. So I try to try to look forward to things along that same line. I've really tried to give myself a break from having to feel so darn productive all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think for somebody in your situation, that might even be more important because, you know, dad and I are old people stuck at home. Like we're both being pretty productive with some parts of our work. Cause I mean, we've got a lot of hours here. Um, but for you youngins who have children at home, you know, this is precious time. Um, this is a pinpoint in history that people are going to be talking about for decades to come. Um, it would be okay to breathe a little more and play with your kids a little extra. and. Give yourself a little bit of a productivity break. Yeah. Uh, because trying to accomplish everything you think you should be accomplishing, your school deadlines, your work requirements, um, I think in, in hindsight, we're going to say we did pretty well if we survived this. So... That might be a touch pessimistic. Well, I mean, yeah, some people are going to think that. I mean, um, how about this? We're going to do well if we can um, find moments of thriving in the midst of a very, very historically stressful situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the point you're trying to make is one I agree with, which is that this isn't a time to expect thriving from of yourself. Right. Like right. if you're not thriving in this time, like that isn't a sign that that something's messed up with you or that you're doing something wrong. It's just sort of like this isn't really a time for thriving. So then figure out like, okay, given that it's not a time for thriving, like what can we do? What can we do with what we have? Yeah. And not like not like what can we produce, like not in a productivity way, but like how can we um knowing that the circumstances are so less than ideal. Um, where can we find a moment of joy? Where can we find a moment of gratitude? It doesn't have to be a lot. You, know, doesn't, you don't have to like put the happy spin on everything, but just like where can you where can you appreciate the glimpses that you get of something other than the anxiety, right? Yeah, there are a group of us going through the 12 steps together. And um, April is supposed to be step four. And uh, last night, many of us, um, suggested that they were returning to step one 
which is about powerlessness and unmanageability, reviewing their notes from those steps. And I was like, way to go. Um, You know, in January, everybody was so excited about eat one step a month until we got to December. And then we were really going to celebrate having completed these 12 steps together. But, you know, it'll be equally cool to celebrate completing these 12 steps together next March. Yeah. It's okay to take a step back. Yeah. If we take a step back and several people had sort of naturally already done that and we're saying we're finding great comfort in this. Right. So find the things that are comforting and nurturing to you. Um, Maybe this is the time for that. Yeah. All right. We've been at this a while. It's feeling rather complete to me. I don't know how you feel about it. I feel great. Okay. Um, so this is this is first virus podcast. So it is what it is. Yeah. Um, just again, for you all who are listening, I'm looking at the clock and thinking that I'm probably um, not going to finish dealing with this until tomorrow so it'll be april 3rd friday when you're hearing this just know that on april 9th at 2 p.m we are going to try to do this live so prepare some questions you know come prepared to watch us um make fools of ourselves and um yeah we'll look forward to seeing you in the facebook group if you're not already in there join it um, facebook.com slash groups slash nsc.rva that's where you can find us I bet you got some perky music in the background right about now in this yeah I hadn't really decided but I think you know we're recording this on zoom and um, I guess the people who are listening don't know that so but but probably I'm just gonna post this as an audio podcast I hadn't really thought about it until now but I'll probably so just because so so that way that way it'll show up in our podcast feed like right through Apple Podcasts and Google and such so um, yeah so there will be music and it'll be courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions royalty free and you can find them on the web at sessions.blue awesome well this was fun Scott I'd love <laughs> to hug I'd love to hug and kiss you but um, high five uh, high five from a, an, an appropriately socially distant uh, space from miles away several miles yeah no i don't think it's been this long that i've gone without uh seeing you uh since you were in seminary in california so at least we're now in the same time zone yeah it's been quite a while anyway yeah all right love to all these people all the people out there that we don't get to see but miss terribly yep all right joining us talk to you soon bye-bye